0: He created man in his own image with a desire to be in sweet fellowship with humanity forever. God even gave man dominion over the entire earth to subdue it. But man was not content to have sweet fellowship with God. Man wanted to be God. He wanted to take hold of God's glory and make it his own. And so, with the help of the serpent in the midst of the garden, man made the decision to walk away from the goodness and sweetness of God in order to test the waters of self-autonomy and independence from God. And when he made that decision, he thrust all of humanity and the entirety of the world under the curse of sin. Childbirth became hard. Work became hard, marriage became hard, life became hard. And moreover, the ultimate curse of sin was eternal death. But God, in His great love and for His own glory, was unwilling to stand idly by and watch all of humanity perish forever. He promised redemption. He promised a Redeemer. And for hundreds of years, He made promises to man. He established covenants with man. He cared for man. He delivered man. He spoke to man. And He demonstrated His love to man over and over and over. And then, all of a sudden, and for His own glory, the second member of the Trinity... The Son of God broke into human history and was born of a virgin, fully God and fully man. Fully human and yet fully divine. And He lived a perfect, holy, loving, sinless, compassionate life. He healed the sick He raised the dead to life. He made the blind to see. He made the deaf to hear. He made the lame to walk. He loved the unlovable. He touched the untouchable. He embraced the outcasts. A demon-possessed man named Legion met Jesus by the shore. And Jesus saved him and then commissioned him to be the first Christian missionary. A woman caught in the very act of adultery, met Jesus. And Jesus saved her life and commissioned her with these words, Go and sin no more. A greedy tax collector met Jesus on the roadside and Jesus saved him and made him an ambassador of Christ to the Jews. Jesus Christ lived perfectly, He loved powerfully, and He served humbly. And brothers and sisters, he lived the life that you and I are supposed to live. And what did he get for it? He got jealousy and envy and hatred. Ultimately, torture and murder at the hands of sinners like you and me. But more than that, more than that, he was punished by God the Father as if as if he had lived the kind of life that you and I have lived. Lying, deceiving, lusting, bragging, cheating, hating, slandering. God the Father exercised righteous wrath on His sinless Son. Why? Because we needed redemption. We needed a Redeemer. And so he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And once the penalty was paid, Jesus Christ cried out, It is finished. And he was buried. But on the third day, He rose from the dead, defeating death, sin, darkness, and hell itself. The victory was won so that anyone who believes in Him, who believes in Jesus Christ, can have eternal life and know God and have sweet fellowship with Him and live for His glory and experience His blessing. You can be rescued from the power of sin and the pollution of sin and the penalty of sin. You can be saved to the power of Christ's resurrection, to the purity of Christ's righteousness, to the presence of Christ's glory forever and ever and ever. You can be indwelled and fueled and empowered by the Spirit of the resurrected Christ. All you have to do is confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. And you know what? You will be saved. And I want you to know this morning, brothers and sisters, that that is the gospel. That is the good news of salvation in Christ. And if you believe that good news, and you've been redeemed by the God of that good news, Right now would be a great time for you to repeat after me. Praise be to God the Father. Father. Glory be to Jesus Christ. Christ. Thanks Thanks be to the Holy Spirit. Now what does that good news, what does that gospel have to do with your life right now? What does that gospel have to do with your car problem? What does that gospel have to do with your physical disability? What does that gospel have to do with the situation at work that you don't know how you're going to resolve? What does that gospel have to do with a family relationship that you're experiencing right now that is creating all kinds of anxiety as you go to bed at night? What does that gospel have to do with your life right now? And I just had a young child answer that question with her lips and she said, everything. Everything. And it does. It absolutely does. Please turn to Philippians chapter 4. This morning we're going to finish our study in the book of Philippians. Philippians 4 verses 10 through 23. And the Apostle Paul answers those questions that I just asked you at the end of this letter. Because you see, that gospel message that I just preached to you in about seven minutes is the same gospel message that the Apostle Paul preached to the the citizens at Philippi over 1,900 years ago. It's the same message that they believed. It's the same message that they staked their life on. It's the same message that helped them live for the glory of God. And so let's see how Paul finishes this letter to this church he loves so dearly. Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 23. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any, in every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all these things through Him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble, And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel... When I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering. A sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And so, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the nature of the relationship that existed between Paul and the church at Philippi. Because in reminding you of that relationship and walking through their partnership in the gospel for a few minutes will help us understand everything that he just said. So Paul goes into the city of Philippi and he begins to preach the gospel to a people who don't know the gospel, who haven't heard the gospel. They have some people who study the Old Testament books but they didn't understand the fullness of that message that I just preached to you and so this woman named Lydia who is a successful business person hears this gospel and is saved by that message and is part of the very first church in Philippi there there's a servant girl who had been annoying these these missionaries, Paul and uh, Timothy and the others, and she ends up turning and coming to Christ. And then the Philippian jailer who had uh, was in charge of putting Paul and Silas in jail was so overwhelmed by their gospel testimony and their praise of God that he heard more of the message of this gospel and he was saved and his wife was saved and his kids were saved and all of a sudden in the city of Philippi where no church existed, where no gospel was being preached, now you have all of these different people from these different segments of society coming together to form the local church. And the gospel so impacted them. This message of grace... So consumed their life and their heart. They understood what Paul would say for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. And so they put all the eggs that they had in the basket of the gospel. They put everything that they were worth and everything that they held value in into the gospel basket. And they say, Our life belongs to Christ. And so, Paul, help us live a Christ centered life. And for the next 10 years, the Apostle Paul and the church at Philippi partner together to advance this glorious message that Jesus Christ, the resurrected one, saves sinners. And so Paul goes to Thessalonica and he is preaching the gospel in this city, and they don't help him survive. And so, what do the Philippians do? They send money and food and resources to Thessalonica so that Paul can preach the same message there that he preached to the Philippians. Paul goes on to other places and preaches the Gospel to places that are hostile to him. And what do the Philippians do? They bundle up food and money, and resources, and coats, and they send it by messengers in order to get to this gospel ambassador so that he can continue to do in other places what he had done for them. And then Paul goes back to Philippi, and he tells them this message. He says, you know, the church in Jerusalem where really the first church was planted on the day of Pentecost when the Apostle Peter had preached this glorious message and over 3,000 people got saved. Well, in Jerusalem, there's a great persecution that's going on among Christians right now. And Christian men are losing their jobs. And they're being being, uh, persecuted and they're suffering and and they're, they're poor and all their resources are drying up. And Philippians... Would y'all be willing to take up an offering in order to go send it hundreds of miles south to Jerusalem to help those Christians and the Philippians who are by any standard poor. Poor. They open up their wallets. They go to their resources that they had saved. And they begin to put in coins. And they begin to put in resources and they begin to put in things that they were saving up for a rainy day because there were Christians in Jerusalem who needed their help. And they take all of this up and give it to Paul, and Paul takes it down to Jerusalem to support this church. And Paul continues to preach the gospel and he continues to need their help. And no matter whether Paul is in prison, No matter whether Paul is in transit to go to prison in Jerusalem, or no matter whether he is in house arrest in the city of Rome, the Philippians are tracking his every move, seeking to be a blessing to this man whose feet had carried to them the message that Jesus Christ saves sinners like you and me. So when Paul finishes this love letter to them and he opens up his heart and he says, I'm so glad and I'm rejoicing in the Lord that You've revived Your concern for me. He's saying we've got a 10-year history of partnership in this gospel. We've got a 10-year relationship of you helping me and advancing the gospel and me coming to you and us blessing one another. And so church, This is what I want you to know is the overarching big message of Philippians chapter 4 verses 10 through 23, but it should be the overarching message that hangs over your life if you believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is this, God's gospel power provides everything that you need to be joyful and fruitful in every situation you'll ever experience for the rest of your life. I'll repeat it. God's gospel power provides everything you need to be joyful and fruitful in every situation you'll ever experience for the rest of your life. And when I say God's gospel power, I mean the same power that raised Jesus out of the tomb on that Sunday morning is gospel power and it belongs to you. You see, when Jesus resurrected from that tomb and when He revealed Himself to His disciples, He said, I'm going, but it's okay because I'm going to send my Spirit. And my Spirit is going to indwell you. My Spirit is going to fill you. My Spirit is going to seal you so that you can know the dunamis, the power, the power that belongs to me and that resurrected me. And so, God's gospel power, that is His resurrection power, provides everything that you need to be joyful. And we have said that joy is an inner delight expressed in an outer gladness That does not depend on circumstances. It does not depend on situations. It does not depend on good health. It does not depend on a big check account. It depends on one thing and one thing alone. That you know the resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ. That you belong to Him and He belongs to you. That He's in you. That He's with you. That He's for you. You can be in Oxford, Alabama, or you can be in Liberia, Africa. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter who you're with. It doesn't matter what you're doing. It doesn't matter what you're enduring. Christ is with you and He's for you. And so God's gospel power provides everything you need to be joyful, to have a delight that you know Him, that He knows you, and that you're in Him and that He's in you. And not only joyful, but fruitful. And we we may be willing to embrace the idea that we can have joy no matter what our circumstances are, but we're often inclined to think that we just cannot be fruitful for Jesus if our circumstances are bad. And Paul is saying you can be fruitful for Jesus because your circumstances are bad. By fruitful, Paul would mean, and Paul does mean, you can take what God has given to you and you can magnify the worth and the glory and the honor of Jesus Christ the Lord. You have that capacity. It doesn't matter whether you're single or married. It doesn't matter whether you're a child or whether you're an adult. It doesn't matter whether you are rich or whether you are poor. It doesn't matter whether you are physically suffering or physically on top of your game. You can magnify the glory of Christ through your life if you have joy in Him and Him alone. And so God's gospel power provides everything you need to be joyful and fruitful in every situation you'll ever experience for the rest of your life. You see, Paul's message here in verses 10 through 23 is it doesn't matter whether I'm abounding in wealth or whether I'm not sure where my next meal is going to come from. Not only am I content, but I have learned to magnify Christ when I am wealthy and when I am poor, when I have a super abounding riches and when I am in great need. Because this is the thing, my contentment and my ability to magnify God does not rest on my physical ability or on my material possessions. It matters on my heart given over to this Christ who has lived on my behalf, died on my behalf, and resurrected on my behalf. Church, brothers and sisters, friends, that's the message not only of chapter 4, verses 10 through 23, but that's really the message of the book of Philippians. And that's the message of the Apostle Paul, no matter what book of his that you read. And so what I want to do right now is I want to give you three ways I'll give be three ways the gospel demonstrates its transforming power. Three ways the gospel demonstrates its transforming power because this is what he exposes here. All right. First, the gospel produces a community of people who are marked by authentic love and long-term partnerships. The gospel produces a community of people who are marked by authentic love and long-term partnerships. Now, the way he closes this letter, we're not going to be able to just walk through chronologically, exactly line by line. We're going to have to see, we're going to have to kind of treat it the way he treats it. So look down at verse 10. He said, I rejoice in the Lord. I'm delighting in the Lord. I'm expressing my gladness in the Lord that you've revived your concern for me. Oh man, you've been concerned for me. You've loved me. You've cared for me. Your mind, that, that word concern right there, from now your mind has been on my life and on my circumstances, no doubt about it. But you had really no opportunity to care for me because of the distance, because of my circumstances, because of your circumstances. And then he goes in in verse 11 through 13 and he actually gives kind of an excursus. This is kind of a parenthesis that we'll get to in a few minutes. And so look down at verse 14. He says, you provide your concern for me now, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble, to partner, koinoneo, to share my trouble. And you guys know, you know in the beginning of the gospel when I brought that message to you and then I left, that nobody entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you. In Thessalonica, you helped me and you met my needs. But I want you to know, It's not the gift that I sought then and that I'm seeking now, but it's the fruit. It's the fruit that is produced from your partnership. Now church, I think it is absolutely critical for us to understand that the Apostle Paul is not consumed with or concerned with saying, send me more stuff, get me more money. Give me more resources. Please send me more coats. Please do this for me. Please do that for me. No, and notice he doesn't even directly thank the Philippians. Is he thankful for Philippians? Absolutely. But who does he say he's rejoicing in? He's rejoicing in Christ. He's rejoicing in the Lord. And so church, what I want you to know is that Paul understood what gospel partnership was about. The the Philippians understood what gospel partnership is about. This is about advancing the gospel. And so I'm going to be content with what God has given to me and what you guys have supplied, and I'm going to rejoice in the Lord in that understanding that we are partners and we're both advancing the gospel and having our account boosted as we partner with one another in this advancement. Look further. He says, I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus, that is the Philippian church member, who has come down and brought these various gifts to me in house arrest and how what does he call it he calls it a fragrant offering a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God i want us to meditate for a moment i want to ask you what smells do you really really enjoy Like, I I enjoy the smell of a freshly mowed lawn. I enjoy the smells of a baseball field. I enjoy the smells of things in our house that have a specific uh, odor to them but signify that somebody's around. It pleases me. It makes me excited. And what Paul is saying is that when Christians partner with other Christians in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory is in heaven enjoying the smell. Of that partnership enjoying the scent that is rising up from earth into the heavenlies as an offering of praise to him God is delighted and pleased when his people partner together in long-term fellowship with one another that's what he's saying now It produces a community of people who are marked by authentic love and long-term partnership. And church, I I just want to say a couple of things before we move. We're not a country club or a social club or some other type of organization that is really (laughs) bound together by some earthly or temporal goal. We are the body of Christ purchased by the blood of Christ. And we have an eternal bond that is unfettered and that will not be broken. And that's what binds us together in partnership day after day and week after week and month after month and year after year and decade after decade. You see, the gospel produces in people who believe it a love for one another that is not surfacy. It's not not superficial. It's not temporal. It is deep and abiding and real and sacrificial and loving and strong and is willing to do whatever has to be done to promote the good in another person and the glory of God in their life. That's what gospel partnership is. And that's the power of the gospel that Paul is talking about. The second way in which God's gospel power is demonstrated is that the gospel produces a contentment that relies not on great circumstances, but on a great Savior. The gospel produces a contentment that relies not on great circumstances, but on a great Savior. Let's read verses 11 through 13 again. He says, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Now, my guess is, is that everyone in this building today could recite Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. Some of you are familiar with uh, a satirical, uh, I guess electronic publication called the Babylon Bee. On April 1st, Babylon B. had the heading on uh, this article, Context of Philippians 4.13 Officially Abandoned. Atlanta, Georgia. According to multiple sources, evangelicals across the nation have quietly confirmed that the one thing Christ will not strengthen them to do is understand the context of Philippians 4.13. As of Friday, it has officially been abandoned. Quote, at best we can say it has something to do with the other things the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 4. Born again Christian, Richard McPhee told reporters. Exactly what those things are, I don't really know. I'm not a scholar, I'm just a man with a Bible trying to do what it tells me. Don't put this on me. Dan Jeffries says, Seems pretty clear cut. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's it. Pressed to define all things, Jeffries laughed nervously. Come on, it's obvious. It means like what I want to do. The other day it was 225 on the bench and I nailed it. God is so good. (laughs) Tina Carrera, who leads a weekly Bible study at her home, says you have to break it down and examine each word. All means any. Or whatever, and things refers to stuff, or other things. Things that may be on your heart. So I think the meaning is pretty clear. I have no further comment. Reporters found local man Dan Hensborough reading his Bible in a local coffee shop after the announcement, and he was defiant. Of course I know the context. Philippians 4.13 is my life verse. It's my mantra when I'm struggling to stay on task online, or stay awake in a movie, or even when I have to take the trash out and it's really heavy. Wait, what does context mean again? Church, this is a great opportunity for us to understand the essence of Christianity through a verse that is probably the most abused verse among Christians in America. Look down at the passage and let's just walk through it. He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. The first thing that we want to say, church, is that contentment, that is, satisfaction in any situation. That's what contentment is. Satisfaction in any situation. Contentment is not something that you automatically have. Contentment is something that the Apostle Paul had to learn. He said it twice. And one of those terms, when he says that I've learned, literally means to shut your mouth and be revealed mysteries that you did not understand before. That's what the word means. And so Paul is saying, this great super apostle that I myself have have had to learn what it means to be satisfied in any situation that I find myself in. But he says, I've I've found that ability. And what does he say further? In verse 12 he says, I know how to be brought low. That is, I know how to be humbled, And I know how to abound. I know how to have a super abounding amount of stuff. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Now put your eyes down on the text because I want you to know that in verse 12, that term any and that term every are the same term in the Greek, in the original. And then drop down to verse 13. And I want you to know that verse 13 starts with the word all in the original. And it's the exact same word that he uses in verse 12. As any and every circumstance. So I know this is deep. I know this is technical. But church, what is the Apostle Paul talking about in Philippians chapter 4 verse 13? He's saying, in all these things, whether I have a lot or whether I have a little, whether I'm abounding in resources or whether I don't know where my next meal, in all these things, I have found the ability to be content in Christ and to rejoice in Christ and to know how to live above my circumstantial situation. That's what He's saying. And so when you and I say, I can do all these things through Christ who gives me strength. What we're saying is we have learned the secret to be content. We have learned the secret to be satisfied. And it is this. It is not to depend on my circumstances. It is not to depend on my health. It is not to depend on the quality of my job. It is not to depend on the amount in my bank account. It is not to depend on the sweetness of my marriage. It is not to depend on the goodness of my children. It is not to depend on the happiness of my life. It is not to depend on the quality of my vehicle or the bigness of my house or the number of friends that I have on Facebook. It is none of those things. I have learned the secret to be content, and it is knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, in every situation. And so if you look at the way the gospel demonstrates its transforming power, it is that the gospel produces a contentment that relies not on great circumstances, but on a great Savior. Let me remind you that the Apostle Paul is writing this letter from prison and that the Apostle Paul knows that he's going to be killed for his testimony of faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, third. The third way in which the gospel demonstrates its power. It produces a confidence that God will supply your every need and gain glory for Himself in the process. It produces a confidence that God will supply your every need and gain glory for Himself in the process. Look back down one more time, church, if you don't mind. Look at verse 19 and 20. He says, My God will supply every need of yours according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. And so, what's going on here? Paul is absolutely certain that God is going to do a work in and through the Philippians and in and through himself in such a way that every single day, at every single moment, they were going to be able to say, the Philippians and Paul himself were going to be able to say, God, you're meeting my need. God, you're meeting my need. God, you're meeting my need. And in your meeting of my need, you are magnifying your glory. You are magnifying your greatness. And you and I are like, well, well, it's interesting because Paul is describing above how he's learned to be content in hunger and in need and in struggling. And doesn't this seem to not like square up with what he's saying here? Like if we've got needs for food, isn't God going to supply us food? If we've got needs for a better marriage, is God not going to supply a better marriage? And, And what Paul is wanting everyone to do is to redefine the nature of our need. Let me ask you this question, brother and sister. What do you need? What do you really need? I believe Paul would say, the one thing that you really need is Jesus Christ. It is an abiding, fervent, Fellowship with Jesus Christ who has sent His Spirit to live inside of you and to bring sweetness and fellowship and love and hope until your last day on this earth so that your first day in heaven will be exactly what you've longed for the rest of your life. Church, I want to ask you to do something interesting. I want to ask you to turn back to Romans. Romans chapter 8. Paul really expounds on this idea in Romans chapter 8. Because he basically says... If God has done what He did to Christ, why in the world would you question His goodness to you right now? Let's start in verse 31 of Romans chapter 8. He says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who didn't spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, How will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who's to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who's at the right hand of God? Who indeed is right now interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Now catch this, brothers and sisters. Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it's written, for your sake we're being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. If I could catch your eyes for just a moment. If you came to an Easter service today expecting to hear that God wants to make your life physically and materially better, you came to the wrong church service. Because right here, He's saying, you may suffer, you may be persecuted, you may be sawn in two, you may be pierced, you may die. But this is the glorious message. Look back down. In all these things, whether you are naked or whether you are persecuted or whether you experience famine or danger or sword, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor anything else in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So if you would right now, you can close your eyes, bow your heads, you can close up your notes. I want us to have a time of meditation. On this Resurrection Sunday, on this day that we celebrate the conquering King, Jesus Christ, I want to ask you if you have embraced these three realities. Has the gospel produced in you a connection to the people of God that is marked by authentic love and long-term partnership for advancement of the gospel? Has it produced that in your life? And if it's doing that right now, why don't you say a prayer of thanksgiving to God that He is doing a gospel work in your life? Like, I can think of some of you right now, man, y'all keep pressing in to church life, even in the midst of discouragement, even in the midst of of problems. Some of you are even depressed, and yet, Sunday after Sunday and Wednesday after Wednesday, You keep showing up. And you know what's going on there? The gospel is doing a work in you that's producing authentic love for God's people and a fruitful life. Praise the name of Jesus right now in your seat if God's doing that work in you right now. Praise His name. It's His faithfulness. It's His goodness. It's His His sweetness to you. He keeps putting you in that car and driving to this parking lot. He keeps connecting you with brothers and sisters on social media and text messaging. Praise His name for that partnership. And now I want to ask you, as you're meditating on your own relationship to the God of the gospel, is the gospel producing a contentment? that relies not on your circumstances, but on your Savior. Like, do you find yourself saying, if I only had this, I'd be happy. If I could only finish this education, I would be happy. If I could only land this job, oh, I would then be happy if I could only find a wife or a husband, I then could be happy. I then could be content. I then could be satisfied in my life. Or do you find yourself saying, all I really need is fellowship with my Savior. I'm content to have as my best friend the one who lived for me and died for me and rose from the dead to secure my eternity. My guess is this morning that some of you need to repent of looking to your circumstances. Looking to better situations to provide the contentment that you're longing for. And you need to run to Christ. And you need to find your rest in Him. Finally, is the Gospel Producing a confidence that God will supply every need of yours and glorify His name in the process. Do you lay your head down at night knowing and trusting that God is at work in you? Praise His name this morning. We're going to sing and we're going to respond to His Word. If you need to come down to the prayer bench and offer up a prayer of repentance, if you need to come down to the prayer bench and offer up a prayer of rejoicing that Christ is in you and with you and for you and will never leave you no matter where you go or what happens, then come and do that. But respond to the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ today that you may know Him and the power of His resurrection. It was spring, but it was summer I wanted. The warm days and the great outdoors. It was summer, but it was fall I wanted. The colorful leaves and the cool dry air. It was fall, but it was winter I wanted, the beautiful snow and the joy of the holiday season. It was now winter, but it was spring I wanted, the warmth and the blossoming of nature. I was a child, but it was adulthood I wanted, the freedom and the respect. I was 20, but it was 30 I wanted, to be mature and sophisticated. I was middle-aged, but it was 20 I wanted. The youth and the free spirit. I was retired, but it was middle age that I wanted, the presence of mind without limitations. My life was over, but I never got what I wanted. I wanna ask you this morning have you got what you wanted? I wanna tell you as a sinner, who's been saved by the grace of God through the Gospel of Jesus Christ, I can say 100% with all my heart, I have what I want. I have Jesus Christ. You can't take Him away from me. The world can't take Him away from me. Satan can't take Him away from me. I have Christ. And He's all I need. Do you have Him? Rejoice today if you have Christ. Christ. Repent today if you don't yeah. so you can have Him.